to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, crisis management, and anything that can be related to those topics. As always, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about, please feel free to get a hold of me. You can send me an email. There's a button on the Voice America page for Preparing for the Unexpected. Send says something along the lines of send email a host or send host a note or something like that. You can contact me. Let me know what it is you want us to talk about, and we'll see about getting someone on the show, or we'll see about getting you on the show to talk about it. But either way, feel free. Let me know uh, You know any ideas or things that you want to talk about or, or listen to. And uh, I will be in uh, Manila at the International Emergency Management Society 25th Annual Conference and November, oh, I forgot the date, uh, November 13th to 16th. <laughs> uh, I will be there uh, talking to a lot of the uh, academics that are going to be there and research scientists. So hopefully get some new views and thoughts on emergency management and uh, crisis management. And, uh, you know, something that uh, you don't often hear about. We talk a lot to authors and practitioners. So I'm looking forward to talking to uh, uh, some uh, additional different uh, groups and get some uh, new and uh, different perspectives on things. Uh, This is actually going to be part two of a two-part series. The first part, you may remember, uh, would be fear. You know, how business continuity management addresses our fears. And uh, I had mentioned that there are six fears, uh, five actually, uh, that are common throughout history, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what time period um, your culture or or any culture existed throughout history. Uh, Excuse me, Professor Brown from uh, UCLA Berkeley, I believe it was, if uh, my memory serves correctly, wrote a book, Human Universals, and in there he lists all kinds of different uh, commonalities that different uh, groups in in the world, uh, you know, throughout history have had. And regardless of where they are or what time, there's been five that are common to everybody. And there's a sixth one that I add, actually, simply because of business continuity management and what we do. But I'll get to that one. That'll be at the end. Last, in the last episode... Uh, fear part one, we talked about the fear of insignificance. We talked about the fear of outsiders, and I don't mean other cultures, you know, um, in that, just to make that very clear. And fear of the future. Well, who isn't, uh, you know, uh, curious as to what's going to happen? You know, it's a scary thing to know what's going to happen in the future. So we talked about those three and what aspects of business continuity management programs address those fears. And in this episode, we're going to talk about three additional fears. The first one being fear of chaos. The next being fear of death. And the last one, and this is the one that I add simply because of business continuity management, 
This is fear of the truth. Now I'll get, I'll explain all of these, you know, uh, especially the last one of what that means um, in, in the various segments. But in our first segment, we're going to talk about fear of chaos and how business continuity management programs address that fear. So what kind of things does business continuity, disaster planning, crisis management, emergency response, emergency management, whatever moniker you want to use, how do these programs address the fear of chaos? Chaos is obviously, you know, things just total confusion and nothing, no rhyme or reason is, you know, uh, occurring to keep things in check. It's just mass pandemonium, you know, mass confusion. Obviously, with that, it's the crisis management team leadership, you know, uh, and well, not just the leadership, but the crisis management team itself. Having one of those in place, you know, having an organization that has a team like that in place um, is obviously going to make a difference, you know, make sense of some of the chaos when our organizations or communities experience some sort of um, chaotic event, whether it be an evacuation, whether it be um, some sort of fire, flood, you know, sprinklers go off or, you know, uh, evacuating the the building because of a a firebomb scare, anything along those lines. The crisis management team and its leadership is there to help address the chaos. They get activated um, depending on the criteria of the situation itself. They are there to help provide leadership and guidance to employees and to provide, you know, depending on what makes up their team, provide updates to other organizations, their uh, upstream uh, suppliers and their downstream vendors, you know, other community members, regulatory uh, bodies that need to um, know what's going on. You know, they want to be clear on what's happening, you know, talking with first responders, you know. So the crisis management team deals with all that and they have to practice those roles. You know, they document all the various roles and responsibilities uh, to make sure that they are familiar with what they need to do, when they need to do it, who they need to do it with, why they need to do it with. And they have the documented plan that outlines their the steps that they need to follow to make sure, you know, as a guide, you know, I, I, even though I'm all for plans, I'm not one for thou must stick to this plan note for note, you know, because the situation itself is going to um, provide the uh, the direction and, you know, the guidance as to what you really need to do. So <clears throat> you need to worry about, uh, you know, making sure you have all of that in place. So that's one area where chaos gets addressed, you know, the crisis management team. And another area is the, uh, the, the, well, we'll take it a step further and go, you know, the leadership, the company leadership as well. Sometimes, you know, a vice president of an area may not be a member of the crisis management team. They could be, you know, they're obviously, uh, you know, in charge of their area, but they may not actually be somebody who's a, a member of the uh, CMT. But they still, even when things are not, you know, in a disaster situation, they need to be strong leaders to provide guidance to people to make sure that they are getting their awareness, you know, in their training and making sure that they're up to speed on what's happening and 
what they need to do and be aware of. And when business continuity management comes knocking to, let's say, do a test, you know, whether it be the crisis management team test, whether it be a uh, functional test, whether it be a component test, whether it be an end-to-end, you know, big simulation test or, or exercise, you know, they are there to support it. You know, because if something does happen and they haven't supported anything along the lines of business continuity, disaster planning, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then when, you know, the proverbial, you know what, hits the fan, employees, other leadership uh, team members, management aren't going to know what to do because they haven't been supported by the upper levels who have said, you must know this. You've got to, to do this. You've got to be a part of this. This is a part of our culture. You know, if it's ignored by everybody, including the leadership, it's going to be ignored by employees. It's going to be ignored by, you know, management. And how I mentioned the crisis management team dealing with chaos, if your senior management isn't behind you on your your BCM and your, your DR plans and programs, then that's only going to add to the ensuing chaos that's going to occur when something does happen. Because now, not only do you have the chaos of the situation, you've got the chaos caused because nobody has any idea what's going on or what to do. No one's paid any attention. And you really can't learn it on the spot, right? You got to know it in advance, or at least be able to have some idea of what to um, think about when things hit the fan. So that's uh, one area for another area, you know, the, the leadership, you know, they've got the crisis management team, the uh, leadership of the organization, hopefully supporting uh, business continuity management, you know, we're showing the value, of course, so that when something occurs, we don't have, you know, a complete chaos. You know, we've all got a fear of going into new jobs or, you know, what if something happens, you know, you're in the middle of a big thunderstorm, you know, what happens if this occurs? What happens if that occurs? It's good to have some awareness ahead of time. And that means everyone's got, and I, I touched on this earlier with the crisis management team, but having roles and responsibilities in place, you know, and that means, you know, having a role that takes care of, you know, maybe financial issues and, and concerns, making uh, a, a role specific to dealing with the media, you know, and, and I don't just mean your reporter standing there with a microphone in your face. I also mean media, all media, social media included, right? You've got radio people in front of you. You've got magazine and newspaper people in front of you. And many of them are also just tweeting out, you know, or sending a message on Facebook or, or whatever uh, social media application they happen to be using. But they're going to be posting real time right then and there. So you've got to know and have the right peoples in place that can speak to these things, right? And, and can be uh, the proper uh, voice for your organization because they know their role, they know what, what their responsibility is, they know what they need to communicate and and what not to communicate because you never know what this situation may call for. You know, if it's, let's, let's fingers crossed, it's not a situation where there's been, you know, casualties, you don't want to just be blabbing, oh, yeah, we got 10 dead, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, no, you want to be a little sensitive. You want to have some sort of uh, understanding of what your role is. You know, you've got to show compassion. You've got to make sure that the families 
have been notified, uh, you know, ahead of time. And you've got things in place to address, you know, the concerns and the, the feelings that are going to come up from your staff who may have, you know, seen some of these casualties, you know, an active shooter, you know, or a sudden ceiling collapses, you know, you've got to have that in place. So people who speak to the media, you know, and whoever they are, have to have some sort of a compassion to understand their role, you know, and, and what they need to do. And they need to practice that, you know, with tests and exercises. And I mentioned that earlier. So, uh, you know, the crisis management team, their roles and responsibilities, you know, our leadership, you know, all need to be in place. And there's something else I, w- I want to uh, mention with chaos here to be aware of. Uh, sometimes you will have, you know, let, let's let, let's be positive here. You'll have a situation that has unfolded. You will have your crisis management team activated. You will have leadership, you know, who are executing their roles and responsibilities you know, uh, the various crisis management team groups, you know, and executing their activities. And things are, for, for a, a, well, let's stay positive. You know, things are going well. You're addressing the situation. You've got the right communications going out. You know, you're, you are addressing things as they occur. You are having your IT teams, you know, in a worst-case situation, rebuild systems or have switched over to alternate systems at different sites. You've got employees uh, in transition, moving to these other sites, employees working from home. You've activated, you know, all your contingency plans, your social media, you know, is keeping people up to date. You know, you're on top of things. And you'll have this one leader, you know, in the middle of all this chaos that you've been able to manage, come into a room and cause absolute chaos themselves. And this will be because this leader, vice president, the president, senior manager, director, whoever, will not in the past have supported the program, participated in the program, paid any attention to the information you've given them, not attended awareness sessions, brushes off their participation in tests or delegated to their backup, and you'll have your crisis management team meeting in progress They'll come into the room and just start dropping bombs. You need to do this. We need to do that. Take care of this. Take care of that. They're causing a whole new round of chaos, an absolute mess. I call this the Mighty Mouse Principle. And for anyone who may have grown up uh, in the 60s, early 70s, there was a cartoon character, a little mouse called Mighty Mouse. And he used to sing his catchphrase, you know, he used to sing, here I come to save the day. Uh, Some of you may remember, um, oh, uh, the comedian, I forgot his name, Andy Kaufman, who used to do a routine, you know, a comedy routine that when that line came up, he would look like he was miming the words, you know, here I come to save the day. And that would be it. Then he would just stand there. But here I come to save the day is what this... uh, uninformed or ill-informed, you know, leader uh, does. They come into the room believing, here I come to save the day, drops all these bombs, change this, do this, we need to do that, take care of this, you know, and just causes a complete mess and chaos for everybody. And I call that the the Mighty Mouse Principle, and you've got to be aware of that. 
you know, when this person hap- happens to walk into your room and starts doing all these things, you've got to let them know that, hey, you know, this is what's going on. This is how we're addressing it. This is why it's being done this way. We are not having issues. And you've got to make sure you tell that person, like, out. <laughs> you know, or it's, I know I'm probably being a little bit more blunt um, because I'm not, you know, sitting in front of someone <laughs> telling them that. But you have to find the words to to let them know that, hey, you cannot do this. You know, you cannot turn around and change everything. You know, you're not here to save the day. You know, if if maybe they were a part of the program and had participated in tests and exercises and, you know, contributed and they did that, you would have a different viewpoint of what's happening because they know what's going on and they have a better understanding of what's happening. However, it's not good for them to just suddenly walk in out of nowhere and start saying, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to change. No, that can't happen. And you've got to put a stop to that right away because they will create chaos, you know, in the middle of your own chaos that you may or may not have a handle on. You know, if you do have a handle on it, you don't need someone else trying to change all that for you. If you don't have a handle on it, but you're addressing it, the last thing you want is still someone to come in and start, you know, dropping bombs and starting fires all over the place, taking people away from what they really should be focusing on. So those are a couple of examples of the fear of chaos and how business continuity and what we do and our plans and processes and our people, how we address that. We're going to take a break right now and we're going to talk about uh, our next one which is fear of death. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are talking about fear and how business continuity, disaster planning address our fears. So far, we've talked about insignificance, outsiders, and future, which was in part one of the show. And in the first segment today, we talked about our fear of chaos and what business continuity management uh, programs or what components of those programs can address. There, I, I do want to make it clear, there are other things as well that address the, these different fears. Uh, through time limits, obviously, I can only touch base on two or three at a time. Um, but there's usually half a dozen, if not a few more, um, that uh, fall under each of these. However, for the sake of time, we're only going through two or three of them. So our next one that we're going to talk about is a key one. Fear of death. Now, I don't think anyone who's listening and uh, even... Even those that aren't listening, there isn't anybody who welcomes death. You know, we all have a fear. It's kind of a natural thing uh, for people uh, to be afraid of. I know uh, myself, you know, I, you can't look me in the face and say, are you happy about death? You know, are you looking forward to it? Um, I would honestly have to say no. You know, why would I be looking forward to that? Why would I care about that? So... We're going to talk about fear of death and what parts of the business continuity management program addresses that. And the first one that we talk about is our tests and exercises. Now you're kind of wondering what on earth does a test and exercise have to do with our fear of death? Well, because we do tests and exercises, we become aware. We become more knowledgeable. We practice our roles and we have an understanding of what we need to do to um, address chaotic situations. You know, and when I say test, I'm, not, I'm talking all kinds of tests. You know, I'm talking the crisis management team test, which I uh, alluded to in the previous segment. You know, how everybody deals with, uh, you know, if there's a burning building, how we get people out of the building. You know, if there is... Uh, you know, someone who has a heart attack, you know, maybe evacuating the building or even just a heart attack during, you know, normal work hours. 
you know, and that's the, uh, the chaotic situation. Having people on site that can address, you know, CPR issues, you know, and can take care of that person. Or you do have an evacuation uh, situation and there's somebody in a wheelchair up on the fourth floor that can't come down. You know what to do to address, to make that person safe. You know, make sure that person isn't just left on the floor, which I don't think anybody would do um, uh, under any circumstance. However, it's got to be scary for the person who's in the wheelchair. You know, they're going to want to know what's going to happen. How do I get out of the building? You know, what happens to me? You know, and your organization, your BCM practitioner, you know, whoever it is, you've got to make sure there are plans in place to address that. Know where that person sits. Know if if the situation calls for going into a room and sealing the door, where that room is, how that person is getting to the room, who's staying with them, is anyone staying with them, you know. Um, if they can't, you know, what window are they going to be put by? You know, making sure that the one of the very first things, uh, if not the first thing, that a first responder is to to be told, you know, there's X person on the fourth floor, this, you know, northeast corner, blah, 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 you know, right away. So they focus instantly, you know, and you don't even have to think about that procedure. You know exactly what to tell them, when to say it, you know. And the person, you know, in the wheelchair feels safe and recognized and know that they're going to be taken care of. You know, the 20 floor wardens in the building, every single one of them knows, you know, that where that person sits, you know, where you sit, if you're the one in the wheelchair, where you sit and know that it's documented, it's been tested. You know, there are certain people who, you know, and I've seen it, you know, and it could be. It could be the um, response, you know, carry the wheelchair down uh, the flight of steps. And I've actually seen and heard about that. You know, um, a few years back, I heard uh, a building was being evacuated. It was only the second floor, except there were two. There was one individual in a wheelchair, but there were two people um, that were designated uh, instantly, no matter what. If the fire alarms went off, they went straight to that person, picked up the wheelchair and walk them down the stairs and outside. That was their role right off the bat. And they, they did it. You know, um, I wish I could remember. I want to say it was a place, a place out West in, um, Los Angeles or uh, San Francisco. Um, but I believe it was someplace on the West coast there. And that's how they dealt with, you know, the fear of death for, for that person, you know, to make sure that they felt safe. And we also, there's also uh, you know, other areas like health and safety, right? Health and safety. I don't know if anyone out there is a part of a health and safety committee or has been. I know I was, and uh, I was certified uh, health and safety uh, years ago. Um, I don't believe I, I am now. I think I need to get refreshed on that. But health and safety, part of our role was to address, um, uh, well, not so much address, but uh, inspect our facility because we had a data center attached to a printing uh, center component, you know, with all these large printers and big rolls of paper. And, you know, um, and we had the, you know, the, the employee area, you know, offices and things like that all, all over the place. It was a large facility and health and safety once a month had to do an inspection. You know, it's part of the, the law. You know, in uh, the province, the Ontario Health and Safety Act, 
you know, to do an inspection to make sure there are no hazards, you know, uh, cords running across the floor where people can trip, you know, fall and, you know, split their head open, you know, and some of, some of the things we uh, in, investigated and looked at and made notes on were sometimes, you know, the big rolls, and I'm talking big rolls, you know, like five feet high, really, uh, rolls of uh, check paper that are just up against the wall. Luckily, you know, we the building did have very good health and safety people and the, the print shop and the facilities manager were really fantastic people and they had safety uh, measures in place so that the rolls of paper could not move because if you were hit by one of these, it was going to hurt you. And I mean really hurt you. Uh, so we had to, you know, inspect and make sure that those were still in place, you know, that um, somebody, some user, you know, uh, because I'm sure many have seen it, you know, start plugging in extra fans and equipment, you know, at their workstation with all sorts of extension cords. You know, we've, we've all seen that. And unfortunately, we probably have that at home, you know, in some of our houses. But inspect to make sure they're not fire hazards, you know, making sure that the, uh, the, the different equip, fire safety equipment like uh, extinguishers and hoses have all been investigated and, you know, approved by the fire department, you know, whatever the the frequency is, quarterly, monthly, you know, biannually, annually, whatever it may be, but making sure that, you know, if the, uh, the, the, the next check was supposed to have been in July, when we're doing a, an inspection in August, we can see that, yep, it was inspected in July. It's been done, you know, as it, as it's supposed to, if not, you know, report it. So, <clears throat> You know, we have to make sure, you know, that that stuff is all done. And that's all a part of, you know, people's safety, you know, um, addressing their, their fear of death. And then we also have security, you know, and there's a couple of securities here. We've got physical security, like the, um, the building, right, and information security. Now, I'm not going to get too much into inf information security because... You know, that's uh, all technology-based uh, and, and things like that, and I don't want to really get into an argument or a discussion on that right now because um, I do want to have a future show on information security. But so I look at facility, you know, and the physical security, you know, keeping people safe at work. You know, when they go to work, you know, they want to feel safe, of course. You know, who wouldn't? So with physical security, it's making sure that uh, the building has... Uh, pass cards to get in, you know, not just people walk off the street and can, uh, you know, make it up to the 12th floor, you know, who could, uh, you know, it could be a disgruntled lover who uh, comes and uh, makes their way to the floor where their ex, you know, works and causes a problem there. There's actually been instances, I remember back in, I think it was 2000, 2001, I worked at a tower in downtown Toronto and they were a little lax in their physical facility security and someone in a suit looked the part to look like they belonged there, walked in off the street, made it up to one of their floors. You know, they had a, what looked like a laptop bag, you know, they were wearing a suit and uh, they walked around the floor and picked up uh, quite a few laptops that were sitting there, you know, not being, uh, not locked to the desk or, or anything. So they just picked them up and walked out with them. So, you know, if they, if someone can do that, someone can walk in and cause harm. So we address 
you know, a fear of death by having, you know, the proper uh, physical facility securities in place. You know, we're all issued a badge that lets us in, you know, or out, you know, depending on uh, how the system is set up, you know, and if you don't have one, you can't get in, you know, and we shouldn't tailgate, you know, um, but I know tailgate occurs anyway, because, you know, if you, if the person that sits besides you, it's following you through the door. You're not really going to tell them to stop, wait for the door to close and then come in on their own. You know, they're okay. You know, a complete stranger you've never seen before. Well, that's a different story. You know, uh, and once you're in the building, sometimes different parts of the building don't need access by everybody. You know, do people that work in the print shop need access to the operations center? You know, do the operations staff need access to you know, um, the Salesforce area, you know, where, uh, you know, there's different things going on in there. Do salespeople need access to the uh, data center? You know, do they need access, you know, to walk through the room with all the computers and, you know, and rows upon rows and stacks of, uh, you know, servers and things? No, they don't. You know, those people can go in and cause all kinds of chaos and, and, cause problems, you know, and if they're in the wrong spot at the wrong time doing the wrong thing, they can cause a, a crisis as well. And once again, then that just creates fear for us. Like, oh, great. Now what's going on? What's what's happening, right? So fear of death, you know, it gets addressed by all of those kind of kinds of things. And with those, you know, with the uh, all those items that I just mentioned, the uh, information security, you know, uh, which will be another show altogether, but, you know, not giving out your password, you know, basic things like that, letting people use your laptops. Physical security, you know, the facility, you know, giving people badges to only go to certain specific areas in the facility um, that they need to, to do their jobs. You know, if you're a salesperson, you don't need to be in the operations center. You don't need to be in there to do your job, you know, uh, and, and tests to make sure that you validate all these things, that all this stuff works, you know, and health and safety, that you're doing these checks with the facilities team, because obviously I mentioned you um, extinguishers as an example, but the facilities team will do their part and check to make sure all these things work as well. You know, you test all this stuff. You know, you test to make sure that it all works, that, you know, People are familiar and you'll see, you know, you're, you're probably catching by now how there's linkages between all these different areas, you know, with testing, you know, uh, it helps control chaos. So with testing here, it gives people knowledge and the skills and the ability to know how to manage chaos, how to deal with it. You know, don't panic and run out the building screaming, you know, um, well, try not to, of course, you know, this situation you know, is different for, for everybody, but uh, I think you get the point I'm making. You know, people understand what's happening, what they need to do, what they shouldn't do, you know, where they need to be, where they need to go, you know, and how they work amongst other team members to make it all work. You know, and together, that using all these different things, and there's obviously some other areas as well. Governing bodies uh, are part of that, you know, um, security personnel teams, you know, the nighttime security. They're all a part of that as well. You know, they help address, you know, fear of death. You know, sometimes you may not have thought of that, but actually business continuity is in place, 
you know, not only just to get your organization in a spot to be able to respond to disasters, uh, but it's also there addressing our common fears. So that is the fear of death. And in our last segment, we're going to come to the last one, and that is the fear of truth. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories, too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. This is our last segment. This is, uh, as, as you know, we're talking about the fears you know that we all share. And this last one is one that I kind of thought of after uh, I read the book by um, uh, the Professor Brown on Human Universals, 
and understanding, you know, some of our fears and having worked in business continuity for so long, there was something I realized, you know what, there, there's another fear here that relates just to business continuity. And it has to do with the fear of truth. I'm sure many of you have been in situations where you will perform an assessment or provide, you know, information, you know, whether it be financial information, anything that sometimes people just don't want to pay attention to, or they don't want to look at They you know, they don't want to admit, you know, that's the way it is. So, you know, it really comes down to there is a, is a fear of the truth that's out there. Sometimes, you know, people just, um, don't like hearing the truth. You know, I know in our everyday lives, we all say that, you know, we like the truth, but sometimes when we hear it, we actually don't want to admit that that is the truth, right? I guess that can get into psychology, but that's a whole new different show. This is business continuity. So how does our fear of the truth, you know, relate to business continuity? Well, if you have ever done a BIA, you know, a business impact uh, analysis or a business impact assessment, you'll come up with different findings. You know, you'll have all your report put together that will identify, you know, what departments or, or what functions want the recovery time objective to be, because remember, that's not final until you've talked with IT and you've done your assessments and it's been presented and everybody agrees to it. You know, um, sometimes when you see the findings, you will have a list of all your processes, you know, uh, listed in criticality order, you know, or recovery time objective order. And sometimes when people see those findings at the end, it's not exactly what they thought it would be. I know this happened to me. I worked for, did a BIA for a government agency in Ontario, the province of Ontario. And uh, before any of the results were published, I had, um, you know, I had the deliverable in my hand. Okay, this is what they wanted to see. This is what they want as a deliverable. But I wanted the sponsor to see the results first before they got published to everybody. Because, you know, it was part of a status update, you know, that I always gave him, you know, once a week. And he, I may have mentioned this in the show before. But he looked at the list and said, this is embarrassing. And I thought, oh, what did I do wrong? You know, I've been doing this for years and, you know, what have I done wrong? And he said, what they, what was embarrassing is that all the business functions, you know, all the uh, department leads that responded and put all their information together. When that final list of business functions, you know, by criticality was put together, it didn't align with the executive level expectations of what was critical to the organization. I was speaking to one of those people, the chief financial officer, and he said, and it is a quote, this is embarrassing, that his expectations as an executive was different than all of the management expectations, you know, that were below the C-level. They were not in alignment. So sometimes, you know, that that's the truth. You know, this is what they think. This is what you think, you know, and the two do not align. That happens more times than you think, you know, uh, <clears throat> risk assessments as well, you know, because you'll end up with 
um, people who will identify all kinds of risks. You know, um, do you have a risk of an earthquake? You know, yes or no, or high, medium, low, or however you rate it, one to ten. But you'll always end up with someone who takes that a step further. Um, yeah, I have a fear of earthquakes, but not on not on uh, you know the summer months because in the summer months it's easy to evacuate the building. But I have a greater fear of them in the winter months because you know it's all snow and then we'd be outside getting cold. So you know, so, so you either have you know a risk to earthquakes or you don't. And earthquakes, you know, aren't seasonal. At least to my knowledge, I haven't found anything or read anything that says you know they're seasonal. So. So, you know, if you have all that list of truth, uh, truth, if you have all that list of risks, you know, there are people that will still look at that and not be happy about seeing that list and will, what they do is they will start going off on a tangent, you know, about earthquakes in the winter. And they will look to you to find an answer for that very bizarre one situation. And there's a reason people do that. And this I did read about. The people do that to deflect because they don't want to face reality. So they would rather have you, you know, they'll throw lobs and bombs at you to go chase so that you go away and they don't have to deal with it right then. You know, they don't have to face the truth, you know, of what you're presenting to them or saying to them or or what they need to review. They will go off, you know, and say what they need to say, you know, and you will be forced to kind of go off to the side and hunt down this what we call red herring, right? It's not really something that's critical. It's not relevant, but they've got you doing this hunt to try and an answer for it. You know, why don't you have a plan for earthquakes that happen in the winter and a different plan for earthquakes that happen in the summer? You know, <clears throat> and that's the way it goes. You know, some people just don't like seeing that list and knowing that uh, you are vulnerable to earthquakes all year round, whether you like it or not. You know, and asking all kinds of different questions, you know, what day of the week did it happen? What season did it happen? Isn't going to change the fact that you are, you know, uh, susceptible to earthquakes. So sometimes, you know, in that case, people don't like, you know, hearing the truth. They don't want to hear it, you know. Um, and sometimes you you will be talking with groups and, you know, you'll always find, and I can guarantee everybody's run into this, everyone says they're critical. Yeah, my area is critical. I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, we are the, the key area, you know, and sometimes they say that because, you know, they've got the lion's share of employees. You know, a, a company may have a, a call center that has 500 people, but the rest of the organization, you know, in general only has 350. So because they're the largest area, they have, must be the most critical. You know what? Not necessarily so. Because when you're doing your BIAs and you're talking to groups, you are, and I hope, identifying your dependencies, you know, your internal uh, dependencies and your external dependencies. And also, you know, not just the stuff that comes in to your department from other departments and into your department from external sources, but the dependencies downstream, what comes out of your department to other organizational departments and what comes out of your department that goes straight to external sources, you know, vendors or partners identifying those dependencies. And then when you start aligning that to your, uh, you know, your whole end-to-end -end business functions, you know, you may find that, you know, call center, well, the call center is only used for complaints. 
So they're actually near the end of that whole process because, you know, the sales and marketing and sales and, uh, you know, setup and implementation, all those groups come first, you know, and your customer call center may not like the fact that, you know, yeah, you, you are critical because you're talking to customers, but in the business function, you're actually further down the list, you know. Um, obviously for, if you want to talk to your customers, you're going to want them, them to be up first. If they're there, the first line of contact, you know, for your customers, obviously. However, a lot of people don't like the fact, you know, when they say, you know, I'm critical because I do this, I'm critical because I do that. Well, just about everybody is critical because you're all a part of a process. And just because, you know, you, you have the eighth spot, you know, in a, a process that has 10 spots doesn't mean you're less critical. It just means, you know, you are dependent on seven other areas to come up first before you can do your stuff. And some people, you know, still don't like that fact and get upset knowing that, you know, they're not the number one spot. You know, they're not the beginning and end all of, you know, of a process. And you will encounter that because then they'll start wondering, you know, how come I'm not on the crisis management team or how come we'd have a bigger say in this and how come this and how come that? And that's just the the way it goes. You know, they, they don't like to face the truth that, you know, they're not the number one area in a organization. You know, as an example, uh, for, for myself, I worked in the hospitality industry for many years uh, before I ever jumped into uh, business continuity. And I was a kitchen manager, you know, a restaurant manager, you know, did all the, all that stuff and waited on tables and bartendered and, you know, cooked, did all of that. And we're all dependent, you know, on each other. You know, the, the servers are dependent on the, the hosts or, you know, or whoever is manning the door to seat the customers in the, you know, a, a good order. You know, don't seat, you know, if you have a section of four or five tables, you don't seat all four or five of them at once. You know, because then you get the server in the weeds and then, you know, all those orders come into the kitchen at once, gets the kitchen in the weeds, you know, and it just continues on the cycle, right? You all hope that you work together, you know, the host to the server, the server to the bartender for drinks, and then the server to the kitchen for the food, and then the server again, you know, to close up. You know, I'm obviously I'm narrowing that down uh, a lot. So there's dependencies all over the place, you know, for when a customer comes in, they're not just dependent on the server, but the server behind the scenes is dependent on the bus person clearing tables, the whole seating, the, the tables, the cooks, and you know, the chefs and um, every, then the bartenders getting all the food and the drinks that are, are requested, you know, and desserts, et cetera, et cetera. And I always thought, you know, everyone is always dependent and everyone says the most important person in the restaurant is the server. At least that's what a lot of people used to say back then. Having been in that industry a lot and having done, you know, hundreds of BIAs, I know that the most critical area is one no one ever sees and no one ever wants to do and no one ever likes and almost everyone, uh, to a degree, on some level, makes fun of. And that is the person in the dishing, dishwasher area or utility or whatever it may be called. How fast do you think you're going to work with no clean plates or glasses or silverware or um, uh, containers to hold uh, prepared foods, you know, and utensils, you know, in the in the kitchen? Uh, 
you're not going to get very far at all. It will come to a grinding halt very quick when you can't wash dishes and you don't have anything clean to set tables, to put food on, to serve drinks in, to eat with. You know, it it was it's a eye-opening experience for many people to understand, you know, in a restaurant, the key person is the dishwasher. You know, in in my opinion, they are the overlooked heroes, you know, in a restaurant. You know, and maybe it's because, you know, people look down on it, but I tell you, if they're not there and, you know, they get tasked with all the crappy jobs, let me tell you, uh, uh, having been there. But when it comes to dependencies, you know, the truth is sometimes the most important area isn't the one everybody knows or thinks of. It can just be one or two people, you know, in an organization that things funnel through. And if they're not there or the application they use isn't available, everything comes to a grinding halt, you know, and in the restaurants, the dishwasher breaks down or there's no water, you know, or the dishwasher quits because, you know, people look down on them. Let me tell you, things come to a grinding halt very, very quickly and panic starts to set in. We need glasses. We need dishes, you know, whatever the case may be. So sometimes understanding the truth, people don't like it. You know, they don't want to be faced with what the truth is. And that can be a major area, you know, that people have a fear of. You know, they, they don't want to be told that, you know, they are the most critical. Everyone is critical. Everyone is, you know, important to an organization because they're, they're in the organization. They're help. Everyone has a part to play. Just sometimes your part can't kick in until someone else has done their part. So fear of truth is one that I've always uh, thought of in business continuity, you know, and having been through a few situations where people didn't like the findings. So that is our uh, how business continuity addresses fear. And again, I'm going to list those fears that we all have, whether we know it or not, uh, no matter where we are in the world. And believe me, the listeners of this show are global, everywhere, every continent. And I even had a listener once in Antarctica. So I can honestly say I've had a listener in every continent. So you know, regardless of where we are in the world or what time period we lived in, we all had these fears. Fear of insignificance, fear of outsiders, fear of the future, fear of chaos, our fear of death. And the last one that I attribute to uh, business continuity or thought of because of business continuity is fear of the truth. So that's our show. That was part two. I want to remind everyone that uh, I will be at the International Emergency Management Society Conference in Manila, Philippines, November 13th to 16th. And uh, if you're out that way, because I know I have a lot of listeners in the Philippines and uh, China and um, uh, that area, Indonesia, I hope I run into uh, some of you there. Uh, please feel free. Hunt me down. I'll be the guy wandering around with a recorder in my hand, you know, and we'll get some uh, new perspectives on business continuity and emergency management. It'd be great to hear from you and get some new ideas. And in the meantime, everybody, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.